there are circumstances where it's okay to click on links. For example, if I tell you right now, I'm going to send you something, did you get it? And you get it and you click the link, that's probably fine because you have verbal and video confirmation, yeah. but just an email from someone saying why or something, that's a recipe for disaster. So now you have to take an additional step to say every vendor that you work with needs to have a password challenge combination or some sort of protocol that says only video transactions will be accepted for changing of payroll information. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. Today, I'm joined by a fascinating, exciting, and very entertaining guest, Brian Seeley. Now, Brian is someone who has advised the White House and is the only hacker and speaker to have successfully wiretapped the United States Secret Service and the FBI. Later that same year, my guest also de-anonymized the highly valued mobile app Secret, which put him on the front page of Wired.com, CNN Money, CNET Forbes, and the Washington Post all on the same day. I mean, seriously, I am so excited. Brian is a world-famous security keynote speaker, ethical hacker, author, former US Marine, and he's joining us today to talk about the importance of cyber security. Now, in the UK, with 81% of UK SMEs confirming they'd suffered a data breach or cyber attack, with a considerable two in five, that's 37%, admitting they'd suffered multiple breaches, I was compelled to contact Brian to invite him onto today's show because I think payroll and HR in particular are departments that are extremely vulnerable. And I want to find out exactly why and what we can do to protect ourselves a little bit better during the course of this episode. Now, Brian's joining us from Seattle. Welcome, Brian, to the show. How are you feeling? Great. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, just to give the listeners a bit of context into some of the, uh, before we get into the deep, deep detail of the uh, of the cyber type of questions, Brian, do you mind just giving them a little bit of background to, to your story beyond what I've just mentioned there to give them some insight into your, uh, I guess, what's led you here today? I grew up in Tokyo. Um, my parents worked over there. And I left high school, 2000, joined the Marine Corps, and have been in IT since about that time, 2002, 2004, 5, 6, around there. And uh, I got divorced and got clean and sober around 2013, which is when I started really focusing more efforts on work and career and just trying to find ambition to play more than video games and uh, figured out I was kind of good at this. Uh, in some aspects, maybe not in the decision-making process, because I wouldn't recommend wiretapping any federal agencies. They hate that. <laughs> Tell us a little oh, about the wiretapping. I wasn't making that up in the introduction. For those listening who have still not quite had that sink in yet, you did wiretap the Secret Service and the FBI, right? Yeah, that was a terrible idea. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a Google Maps or mapping engines, these different companies that have uh, business listings. So it's like a yellow pages book, white pages, some sort of business directory. Now it's digital and there's uh, a dynamic ranking system. So everyone has a, trying to make a play for the top ranking spots. Well, if you can manipulate those results, you can make all the money. 
in every category, especially businesses that are um, customer service oriented. So they travel to you, mobile locksmiths, cool. any those are the heavily exploited ones, pool cleaners, that kind of thing. Home service, business service related. So in order to demonstrate the problem, I tried making funny listings and sort of making the problem worse in a funny way. And that didn't really do the job. And so then I took it to a serious note and built duplicates of the Secret Service and the FBI here in the United States. I changed the Russian embassy in London yeah, to, a, to a gay bar with <laughs> uh, Putin's face on it. So you know how I know he hasn't seen it? I'm still alive. Yeah. Okay. Fair play. <laughs> Although I think you were, you were close to being landed in jail, right, for the uh, for the work that you did do. But uh, despite yeah getting away with that, I think um, the Secret Service actually hailed you a hero and praised your courage and integrity as a result. Tell yeah, they, they it was four hours in a in a little room, uh, their guest suite of explaining this over and over and over and over. And they finally got to the bottom of it by calling Google and saying, "Okay, he's been telling you about this, yeah, and you did nothing." And this is what happens. Okay. I got lucky and they determined I wasn't the asshole, but they also gave me a real, very clear warning. Like you don't get to do that again, sure. ever. <laughs> no, no stepping out of line. So I don't jaywalk. I separate my trash from my recycling. <laughs> I help old ladies across the street. It's like, see, all right, like, we're good. Like I have to, I tow the line and it's important to, uh, reiterate, don't do these kinds of things. Those types of stunts don't always go well. People have gone to jail forever for a lot less, yeah, but it made my career. But saying that, I mean, you've, as you say, you, you, you're helping old ladies across the road. You become an ethical hacker, right? And this is one of the reasons yes. I really wanted you on the show today. So to get into the, uh, the serious side of what I think is really important and often overlooked, certainly in the payroll and HR um, departments globally. Um, we will, a lot of US listeners on this as well, I'm sure be intrigued to know what your advice would be. But we're seeing huge increases in payroll fraud, recruitment scams, data breaches, corporate espionage, you name it, cyber attackers are kind of finding numerous routes now into organizations. And a lot of those routes are coming in through the payroll and HR departments because they're known to hold huge amounts of data, huge amounts of information, identifiable information. So if you were to put your sort of hacking head on, why is it that this data is so valuable to criminals? You know, why do they want access to it first and foremost to begin with? A lot of people think that the ransomware is the biggest problem right now. Definitely, got, yeah, I definitely want to come to that later. So yeah, for sure. It's, but it's not. It tends okay. to be business email compromise. So if I can break in to your Office 365 environment, or convince someone to click a link. And it really, if I, if you have 500 people in your company and I send out 50,000 phishing messages with different types and things, someone's gonna click the link. Someone's gonna make that mistake. And that mistake can be really devastating because then I can give an email order to the CFO as the CEO saying, hey, I'm, I'm on a call. This invoice needs to get paid just came in, it's vital, blah, blah, blah. And make an urgency sort of demand and it works. There's in the United States alone, 3 billion or more has been lost this way. If that doesn't work, if they can't get you to willingly send money out, they proceed with like ransomware type things. It's like, well, if you're not gonna play ball, then you're not gonna have any stuff. We're gonna hold your stuff for ransom. 
and it's a way for them to cover their tracks. So it makes it difficult to track and figure out who made the mistake, uh, how they got in. So if you don't have access to online banking as a company employee, it doesn't mean you're not valuable to them. There's intellectual property, there's customer privacy information, there's always something of value. Can they sell that data on the, I mean, this is a hidden world for me, but you look, you, know, you hear about the, the black internet, the black net, whatever you want to call it. Is there a, another marketplace for this data as well? Is that no, another reason they're coming in? There's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. Your information gets bought and sold on the dark web. It probably is better in the EU and UK than it is here. Just from, uh, you guys have stronger privacy laws and the right to be forgotten. Yeah. So the United States arrogantly sometimes proclaims itself the best country in the world more often than not. And I think that's A, arrogant, and B, short-sighted and stupid because it makes a big target of yourself. Sure. If you're in, if you're at a nightclub and one guy's walking around saying, "I'm the best person here," how many of you? How many people kind of want to punch that guy? Like, <laughs> it's why I wear Canadian pins when I travel. Fair I mean, enough. would you would you want to be wearing American flags going everywhere? No, like I w I would rather blend in. So that raises an interesting question for me then. So you do, I didn't mention it in the introduction, but you do a lot of um, cybersecurity consultancy for, for John McAfee, right, and his company, MGT. Now, presumably then, would that make that company a bigger target knowing they've got someone like yourself being that security consultant or not? You've got the people going, normally, you know I normally, break them. he was a bigger target than anybody he could have hired. I got to work with John a few years ago for a while and go to DEF CON with him and become a friend. And people who have controversy associated with them or hit a higher level, anybody who hits a C-level automatically is now included in what would used to just be reserved for like celebrities or the ultra wealthy. So if you were a Rothschild or whoever, you had to hire security to keep your kids from getting kidnapped and ransomed off. Sure. Lindbergh's kid, tons of high profile kidnappings. It's worth knowing as you ascend that ladder of either corporate success or monetary or rep recognition fame, you need to pay attention to what you put online and what, a, what company information is available. So your executives at any company, their personal life is a liability to your co corporate life. So that's not, and that's not to say you should go through their social media and find reasons to fire them for personal beliefs. It should be inventoried and they should be made aware that that makes them a target. So for example, if I wanted to fish you, I would probably start with a Fender guitar giveaway. Yeah, okay. Or a defect in certain versions of Stratocasters or something that I know that you have on your wall. Or rare guitar with certain color scheme now is being recalled and the value skyrocketed for a certain version of red and black guitar. You might have that. Oh, I wonder how I knew. Oh, yeah. like it's, it becomes this game of how can I get this person to care about what I'm sending them? So if I send a million iCloud, your account's been hacked, click your iCloud account here. Half the people getting it don't even have iCloud. So they just ignore it. But the ones who have it, now we've got a problem. So you can send out these really large blanket nets to try and catch victims. But if you have a specific target in mind, the best pen testers, some of the people I work with and have had the opportunity to work with, they don't fail often. If you set a time limit, maybe. 
it's a hundred percent success over a given period of time. So the chances are then, when it comes to payroll in the HR community, it's going to be a phishing attack that has something related potentially to payroll or HR on the email line. They've done a you know or blanket piece. It's going to go oh that's payroll. I'll click on it. And do you guys have glass? Do you guys use Glassdoor in the UK? Yeah. yeah. Sexual harassment allegations for your for company name. Yeah, sure. C level charged with child pornography possession or harassment at certain company. Do you have a comment? A curiosity overtakes, doesn't it? Well, life is about reacting to problems appropriately. But most of the time in real life, what you see is what you get. So you react appropriately and you get something online. It can easily be something else and masquerading is something that you think you want. That's where the trick comes in. So you have to change all of your patterns and all of your habits to not click on these links. There are circumstances where it's okay to click on links. For example, if I tell you right now, I'm going to send you something, did you get it? And you get it and you click the link, that's probably fine because you have verbal and video confirmation, yeah. but just an email from someone saying why or something, that's a recipe for disaster. So now you have to take an additional step to say every vendor that you work with needs to have a password challenge combination or some sort of protocol that says only video transactions will be accepted for changing of payroll information I see. or no email regarding wire transfers or money transfers whatsoever. That way, you know, if someone does send one, it's a scam. Sure. So when the CFO wants to make a change, he hops on a zoom with the right person and that might slow things down a little bit, but most companies have like a 30-day, we're going to wait and pay you later policy anyways. It's never urgent. Like most vendors, they try to wait as, for, as long as possible to pay. One thing that's interesting when it comes to payroll and HR departments in particular is they're not just handlers of data in terms of employee data, in terms of addresses, names. They also have access to bank account details. They are distributing huge sums of money, often to multiple accounts, often cross-border as well. So... With those kind of departments so vulnerable to attack, what additional recommendations would you make to an HR leader or a payroll leader listening to this now going, I need to make sure that's secure because we, you know, we're paying out millions of pounds potentially every month. That's vulnerable. What, what, would, what are the, 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 the standard things you would expect or you would suggest that they put in place to, to protect themselves from, from attacks? Uh, proper network segmentation so that if something happens to a receptionist, let's say, or someone in engineering, and there's ransomware of some kind. The ransomware traditionally is smart, but not smart enough to hack dynamically on its own. It will go where it has permissions to go, and generally that's the same level of permissions that the person who installed it or accidentally installed it does. So how much damage can each person in your company do if they became a zombie? Sure. And they're going to go eat all their coworkers unless they come and they get a, hit a locked door and they can't get the key card thing to work because zombies are terrible with keys. They, they just mismanage of keys, I guess. So they <laughs> they can't they can't go into that other door. They're not going to eat all those coworkers. That's segmentation of a physical boundary. Yeah, that makes total Net, sense. Network boundaries have physical controls to segment stuff. You you're familiar with like a firewall, yeah, or a yeah. router. A router, all that does is it is a gateway or a door between physical networks that like boundaries. And it doesn't necessarily 
maintain the same shape as the rooms of the building, but loosely, it's based on cabling. So if there's checkpoints that data can't get through with certain rules, accounting should be segmented to only people in accounting and only people at accounting's highest level have the highest permissions. It's difficult because it takes a lot of granular setup for sure. most systems for people to do all this. And it, it's not everyone's favorite thing to do. It's like doing your taxes. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do that never if I could. But potentially if you put it in place, it's going to save you a lot right. of hassle. And then having those policies of using Slack instead of yeah. uh, email and having video calls and Zoom and those types of collaboration things. Some protocol assuming that people are going to hack your email. Assume that they're going to because people make mistakes. People try to eliminate all the possible in inboxes, all their email. They want to have it read so that they don't feel like they're being pressured. And eventually you just give up or come up with better rules or you just start over with a new email address. But idea being you can't just plow through stuff making these really fast decisions because your critical thinking goes out the window. Sure. I mean, interestingly, in only April this year, right? So a few months ago, um, Arup uh, warned all staff to check their bank accounts because their payroll provider, uh, Symmetrix, was a victim of a ransomware attack. And you talked about ransomware earlier. Uh, Mimecast, I looked at some of their data before this podcast, and they said that 61% of all companies have suffered a ransomware attack in the last year. And in terms of email security, which you mentioned, more than 40% of businesses still fall short in one or more critical areas with 13% not using email security, uh, security in any way, shape or form whatsoever. So how concerned should we be by these statistics, particularly in relation to ransomware? Because for me, who hasn't been subject to this yet, it's kind of something I've always associated with the movies. You know, like, yeah, I've seen it happen in there and it's a big movie thing and then you've got someone to come into it. But actually it's happening much more than if I ever those, realized before the research. If those statistics were rape statistics, no one would leave the house. Yeah. 61% have suffered a rape. Like, I wouldn't go outside. It's horrifying. If 61% of people who had corona died, everyone would have worn a mask and everyone yeah. would have stayed home and nobody would have risked it. But people don't have their backups properly implemented where there's an offline daily backup solution that they can recover quickly without that. That mitigates all the ransomware problem. Okay. Is if, you, if your network is completely segmented, it limits how it's going to be able to spread and how much influence it's going to have. It'll get a couple systems. Those should be disposable anyways. If you have backups of your accounting and payroll and active directory or whatever the core functionality is on a regular, often basis, even to the point of rigging some sort of automation to where the hard drive has a cable and then you push a CD drive to push the cable out to like automatically disconnect it when it's done. I don't care how you do it, but you need something that's not plugged in that has your stuff safe. Uh, I mean, there's a million different sort of best practice items available on the internet. People just stop doing it because it takes a lot of time to validate backups. And we're, we're always short staffed because cybersecurity isn't a money maker. It's a money pit, yeah. but it's not like owning a boat where you're just like dumping money into this boat that eventually you regret and give up. It keeps you being a company. Most companies never recover from this. I think it's people don't spend the money because they think, well, you know, I don't want to spend money on something that may never happen. But as you you know, 61% apparently has happened. And quite realistically, a lot of our listeners are probably going to suffer some kind of ransomware attack. How many of those same people have insurance of any kind? Yeah. 
this is the thing that makes insurance unnecessary, essentially. But for the people that don't want to believe, because they're just, I don't want to learn anything new. I can't, new information, nope, I'm done. I'm stuck, I'm sticking with my current iPhone and I'm not gonna get any farther. I'm done learning new stuff, no more new music. Everything is stupid. Like I'm set in my ways. Good luck. You're not playing by the rules that everyone else has to play by if you want to live here on earth doing the things you're doing. By all means, you have a business that doesn't have an internet presence. Good luck. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. To put the listeners then inside the mind of a potential hacker or cyber criminal, what are they doing now? What are they thinking when they decide to, I don't know, pick a potential target, be it HR or payroll-related department? You know, how does that process work? How would you go about it? It's interesting because it, it, the first thing you think about is go for the biggest companies. Depending, it depends what you're going to try to get out of it, right? So if I want motivity, I'd go for the bigger companies. I'd probably go for those protected by the likes of McAfee or, um, I don't know, the, the Sabursky or someone like that because I want to get and make a name for myself as a hacker. Or I want to do someone who has the least amount of security where I can get the greatest financial return. So probably one of the two, depending on my, uh, my hacking psychology. Um, if, you, if you're a bad hacker, you don't want anyone to know who you are. It's like being the most famous smuggler. That seems problematic. Like yeah. if you were really good at smuggling people or a really good covert secret agent, no one would know who you are, James Bond. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop using your real name, you idiot. Like maybe use a disguise. I don't know. So from hackers, they, they would make lists of targets, automate a lot of it to where they'd be able to determine where the low-hanging fruit is. So... When people talk about patching and upgrading, it's fixing software that's found identif like identified problems and it's fixed them. You can actually go online and search hardware-specific search engines to find all the Apple devices on the internet. Hey, this one hasn't been upgraded for five years wow. and it's vulnerable to this thing. And a lot of the really big attacks, the Kaseya ransomware attack recently People at Kaseya were telling their bosses there was a huge problem in the way their software stack was built and that there were existing problems and this was going to bite them. And they were dismissed and it bit them hard. Exploits and vulnerabilities means it was just discovered and the people who are in charge of fixing that software have spent zero days working on it. It's like D-Day. So D-Day plus one, D-Day plus two. If, if they've issued a patch, there's a solution for that zero day. And now it's available for public to be able to actually fix it. If you don't fix it, it's negligent. But there are people who haven't gotten around to it. Or they fired their IT guy and they're hiring a new one and it's just they're getting around to it. It doesn't seem like that high of a priority. The deadbolt on your door at home in a bad neighborhood broke. How high priority is that for you? You get it fixed. It's interesting because we do, you know, we have updates done here and it makes you think, God, 
you know, sometimes you can't get them done because you haven't turned your computer off or whatever it is you have to do in the evening and you think, I'll just do it tomorrow. But actually, it's that day you wait that you don't do it. Everyone else is updated, but one computer hasn't. And it's not like a whole parking garage full of cars and you have to check all of them one by one. They can scan all of the yeah. different systems that have it and go, that car has a broken lock. Locking all the doors in your house and leaving the window open. Right. And they don't need to go and physically check it. And it's not like, I wonder if they're going to accidentally go check it. No, they're, it, it's a for sure that they know because we know. So Payroll on HR software is big business, really big business, both across the globe, US in particular, got some massive providers, some great, big, big providers in the UK as well. And I would say the good news is they're doing a lot of work to try and improve the security protocols, data security, but with all payroll databases vulnerable to attack, if you were a payroll or HR manager and you're looking at either checking you've got the right security protocols in place with your existing provider, or maybe you're even looking to change provider, what are the key questions they should be asking of their providers to make sure their data is secure? Or other things they should avoid? There's almost, there's almost so many, there's so many, the smaller providers generally fare worse because they don't have the same resources. Sure. Amazon, Microsoft, you don't hear about as many breaches with them unless it's a customer making a really big mistake on their own stuff. But who do they use? Who do the biggest boys play with? Those are the, like, that's the research that I would do to find a good payroll provider. I don't, I haven't heard about Quicken or QuickBooks having major data breaches. I know I wouldn't trust Experian uh, if they were my payroll provider, it's hard to know which companies are going to screw up and which ones aren't. But are there certain it, things we should look for? Like a company says, look, we store everything in the cloud. That's more secure than, I don't know, what we used to do before. Or, or you know, there's certain bigger things we should be looking at in a new provider that just gives us an extra layer of security that perhaps we didn't have before or or, or not. It depends on I guess, maybe where they host. So if they're using those providers like Amazon or Azure, which almost everyone does. Yeah. That's not the real issue. It's it's generally going to be one of your own employees that screws okay. up and gives access because breaking into Fort Knox is immeasurably difficult. It's not impossible. It's just I don't know how many bodies and how many bullets it will take. But it, it's it's doable. It's Nothing's impenetrable. Your employees are your biggest liability, but also your biggest asset. Training them is probably the most crucial thing you can do phishing training, social engineering, those types of things. And it's what I end up doing for, I talk about it in speeches or then offer as either consulting or training afterwards, after sure. these events. And initially people don't ask questions because they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to look foolish or that they didn't know. Well, we all didn't know how to tie our shoes at some point. No one came out of the womb just knocking it out of the park. We had to learn something, some point. So always be that sort of new guy in your own head willing to ask questions because I'd rather look silly for a minute than be the guy who brought the whole company down because you didn't want to you know, listen to the speaker or training about something you thought was mundane. I learned something about this stuff all the time and it's constantly changing. And this is what I do professionally. People who don't do it professionally or cocky, it's like kids who think that they're going to be fine without a helmet and then they're just getting on their bike and going full speed. You're going to get hurt. Well, interestingly, you mentioned earlier about the interception piece right at the start of the podcast where, you know, suddenly this urgent bank transfer needs to go through. One of our employees 
got such an email from myself regarding Amazon cards and went straight out thinking it was urgent and bought 500 pounds worth of Amazon vouchers, texted all the codes through, and then lo and behold, realized that it was never for me. My email, my signature, everything on the email, but um, yeah, never for me. So it's happened, you know, we're, we're one of those statistics of someone that's... Um, has been subject to it. And certainly phishing, which you talked about a lot, it seems like that's that's the major problem. But um, it's definitely increasing exponentially here in the UK. The chief executive of uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, um, Jim Haver, he confirmed that even in his position at HMRC, he's been on the receiving end of not just the phishing attempts by email, but also by phone call. You know, the calls coming in, either you have a tax rebate or whatever it is, dial this number or do something else. It's coming at all angles now. And all the it's all the logic goes out the window. Spare one story that I actually heard that there was a guy in Nigeria who was found to have died in his apartment and he was a very rich aristocrat and there was hundreds of millions of dollars in cash in his apartment. So he was the one Nigerian prince who was trying to give money away, but died before he was able to give it out. No you one's actually, giving, is this actually true? That was true. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> There's no one's giving away free money. No. No one, there's no bribe that you need to send. It happens to older people a lot. It, every day I hear something new from a close, like a like one contact away. Like, oh, my dad, my mom, my aunt, my uncle, they're sending money. They won some lottery in the UK. And they're like, you've never been to the UK or submitted. How would you have won the United Kingdom lottery? That's <laughs> not even a thing. But they get blinded by the greed and we all are susceptible to that. It's not an opportunity for people to go, oh, what an idiot, I wouldn't fall for that. And then, oh yeah, let me vote for Brexit, okay? And then <laughs> let me do that. It, like, it, everyone's done something dumb. Let's all put that to the side for the moment and realize we can get better at this. Yeah, part the egos and, and learn. I mean, something I really, I watched one of your videos, really enjoyed it, and it, it spoke to me about the recruitment side of things because we're not just talking about phishing as well when it comes to cybersecurity. You, you exposed to how there's a number of fake LinkedIn profiles and you were showing how you can spot who those fake profiles are and how. But can you tell us a little bit about those? Because a lot of HR professionals in particular that are involved in recruitment, they're going to be looking at LinkedIn, utilizing LinkedIn, and yet a lot of these profiles aren't real, right? Like people don't usually want to admit that we don't want to work with unattractive people. I'm not the most attractive guy. I'm not the most unattractive guy. But I do know that if the girl looks like a supermodel, and asked to connect on Facebook, it's probably, I didn't get better looking overnight. <laughs> I didn't suddenly become some sex icon. It's not gonna happen, that's not in my cards. Uh, I had to learn to develop a personality and work on computers. Plus, when you're on computers, you don't learn how to talk to women. So it's not just, I didn't become a magnet overnight, it's gonna be a spam request. And then you can usually find issues with grammar. Like, sure. I had a scammer call and he was trying to tell me that I had viruses on my network and they worked at Microsoft in Redmond, Washington, DC. Now Redmond is a city in the state of Washington, which is different than Washington, DC, which is the capital of our country, which is a district, it's not even a state. And that's a whole other problem. I like how we left the UK a couple hundred years ago and then just made it a whole bunch more complicated. I like the fact they have no idea who they're actually calling as well, right? <laughs> right. No, they don't care. It, I'll waste their time. It's so much fun. If I can afford the time, I'll just, uh-huh. Oh, wow. No, yeah, I had no idea. Wow, thank you so much. Ooh, can't read that. Like, just get them really frustrated. 
Uh, other people try to hack them back. It's illegal technically to do that in minding my own wanting to not be in an orange jumpsuit and in prison. I don't do any of that stuff, but the thought has crossed my mind. So LinkedIn especially is vulnerable because people will accept, I've done this for um, just demonstration purposes, created a fake profile with uh, a mail order bride's photo and really, really detailed history in the past. And she gets accepted invitation requests at 10 times the rate that I do. It's a good lead gen way of getting into networks and, as you say, you know, getting into people to connect with you. So, yeah. And I didn't realize this was a thing until I watched your video. And I was like, wow, there's a, this, this, this happens a lot. And it, a lot. Yeah. And then there, there's, there's entirely fake companies or companies that have boosted the amount of people that they have working for them using these kinds of things. That's dangerous, but you can go and search someone's photograph and take that photo and put it into a photo search and see if it's used any other place. And if it's used on 30 other profiles, yeah, probably a fake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you so, show how to do that on the video. I'll put the video link in the uh, episode notes if people want to watch that. I've watched it. It's it's, uh, it's quite interesting. It's worth a, worth a few minutes of your time, so I'll put that in there. I think before we finish as well, Brian, I really want to find out um, a little bit more about your book. You've obviously written a book on this. If people are interested in finding out more, um, your book, Cyber Fraud, The Web of Lies, it's available on Amazon. I'll put a link in the episode notes. Tell us a little bit more about the book. That talks a lot about the whole story of the hacking Google Maps, the Secret Service story, and why I did everything and then talks about that entire type of fraud. And it's global. So it applies. And I think it's the only book on the subject since I wrote it a few years ago. I have another book I'm working on. It'll be out. I should be done with it in the next six months with my co-author. Uh, a little bit different subject matter. Still talks about my story and hacking, but also to give you a preview, my eldest child is my stepkid during my marriage. I became her foster parent after the divorce. So I have two of my own kids. They're 12 and six now, and the eldest is 21. Four years ago, she was trafficked uh, here in Seattle. Wow, I, spent, I spent a month looking for her using what I do, my specific set of skills. Still working on my Liam Neeson impression, but I ended up rescuing her. I was able to find her. And wow. that whole process revealed a lot of shortcomings in the mental health aspect of my life or understanding of like what to do when life gets really, really difficult and you're isolated and you work in computers and you're not as social. And so the more human and mental health side of life and what I did to kind of cope with that uh, subsequent suicide attempt and then building my life back up afterwards. Difficult book to write, cathartic. But Dramatic. being the, o- the only person to ever wiretap two federal agencies and then also one of the only people to ever rescue their own kid. And I know there's a handful of people who've ever done it, but there's not exactly support groups of no, like sure. people, you know, celebrating it or advertising. It's it, there's a lot of people in that same situation because of how many women get preyed on all over the world and offer jobs and like, hey, you can come sell these designer handbags. And Facebook is a really big marketplace for stuff these types of scams that get girls to fly, they'll pay for their ticket, they show up at the airport, and then you never hear from them again. I mean, it's a nightmare. So if I can educate in some way, and by using my story, help someone else avoid problems or uh, find ways to cope with the more difficult aspects of life, then it seems to be what I'm called to next. 
Brian, absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the HRND podcast. It's been a really insightful conversation. Hopefully you've protected a number of HR leaders who in turn are going to be protecting their employees and their businesses as a result of this podcast. Thanks ever so much. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.